Welcome to Wonderment from Wiltshire College and University Centre. We are recording this session during lockdown three and therefore the interview has been conducted remotely. Today's podcast contains subject matter classified as adult content. We therefore recommend this talk is for people aged 15 and over. Our aim for this talk is to educate and inform young people, their friends and family about the topic of revenge porn. We're delighted to be joined by Kate Isaacs uh, today, who is the founder of Not Your Porn, a campaign aiming to hold the porn industry accountable for the distribution and commercialisation of non-consensual pornography. Welcome, Kate. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Well, I say here figuratively, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, virtually. Um, I suppose really then we need to start with a with a bit of a definition really about what revenge porn is can you can you tell us a bit more yeah absolutely so we'll get into the reason why i i don't like the term revenge porn in a sec but revenge porn is essentially the non-consensual sharing of um images basically usual usually in like a sexual manner um nudes videos that type of thing okay and and sorry you said then that you you're not keen on that term what why is that well, it's the, it's the name of the law, right? So there was a law passed in 2015 called the Revenge Porn Law. But I think I'm a big believer that language is so important. And the term revenge porn just feels really strange to me. And I think it does to victims too, because one, the revenge element basically insinuates that the victim has done something wrong, that, you know, it's a vengeful act against them. The other, that it's porn. You know, we don't say child pornography anymore. We say child abuse. And I think it sort of almost glamorizes it a little bit. It's it's very, very strange. So I know a lot of victims that I work with prefer the term image-based sexual abuse. Um, So I I try to use that one, but obviously because the law is called revenge porn, then it it kind of at the moment lends itself to to what the majority of us um, call it when we're talking about it. Great. Well, no, thanks for sort of telling us a little bit more because there will probably be lots of people out there who don't know um, what that is. Um, so what is the scale of this issue then? I think it's it's a lot bigger than we know. Um, and I think that kind of has been illustrated to me, I guess, over the last couple of years. But it, it's a very difficult crime to measure. And I don't think we have that many stats on it, if any. It's very difficult to get data on it, simply because of the fact that there's so much shame associated with it, just for the simple fact that, you know, it it feels like it's still very much like a victim-blaming culture around revenge porn, unfortunately. Um, Much more so, I think, than any other sort of sexual crimes nowadays, luckily for for those. But, yeah, it's, it's difficult, and it's difficult to know because a lot of people don't like coming forward because if you imagine there's pictures or videos out you know that out there that you don't want to be out in a in a public space you're not really going to go around yelling about it um and unfortunately only two percent of revenge porn cases in the uk actually get a conviction so it's very very difficult to actually measure how many women this has affected but i know from the amount of emails that i get on a on a daily for over the last couple of years that it's it's definitely a much bigger issue than i think the um the general public knows so can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to begin the Not Your Porn campaign? Yeah, totally. So um, I didn't really know much about revenge porn or porn. Um, I'm a feminist and I've definitely been involved with like activism in a very loose sense, probably not very great activism, but in a sense. Um, but a friend of mine, she uh, she ended up on Pornhub, which was just horrible. So um, she basically, someone got a message to her on social media saying, make, making comments about her body and 
and her and this guy and she was really confused because she was like I don't have a, a video of that like what is he talking about and I think as soon as she realized her heart sank and she'd had her iCloud account hacked and these these sex tapes of her and, and an ex-partner had been uploaded she'd even deleted them from her phone she just hadn't deleted her, them from her iCloud so she didn't really think it, they existed anymore you know nice. um and uh, yeah so then eventually they ended up on Pornhub um, and it was just an absolute mission to try and get it down. And, and, and we couldn't, unfortunately. And it was something that I couldn't really understand because as much as I didn't really know about porn and, and the porn industry at the time, I knew that porn is very much legal. And it is, Pornhub is, is a, a company that operates within the UK, you know, it's tax paying. Um, so it felt very strange that a porn website could use that form of um, image-based sexual abuse to make a profit. And I thought, you know, there's something gone wrong here. Someone's must have been claiming to be her. There must be some identity fraud. You must, have, you know, you have to consent to being on Pornhub. Um, and unfortunately, did a lot of research and quickly found out that that wasn't the case at all. And and there were no laws protecting her in that regard. So classically started shouting about it on Twitter like a very angry woman. Um, and unfortunately, more women came forward with the same story. Um, so I wrote to the Secretary of Justice and and asked how this company could be profiting from revenge porn. It felt really strange and basically had a response saying that the revenge porn law that we have in this country only applies to individuals. It doesn't apply to companies. So actually they were completely within their legal, exactly. And it, and it just became this really, this thing that kind of just kept going and going. And then, you know, we found so many child abuse images on the, those websites as well and, and stolen in sex worker content. And it just sort of spiraled from there really. Um, so now we're working to change the law. We're calling for regulation for the commercialized porn industry. We're calling for consistent reform of the revenge porn laws that exist at the moment because they're absolutely nowhere near for purpose. Um, and also, you know, have a really big focus on socially changing attitudes towards image-based sexual abuse and and that kind of thing. And I think, um, and, and those social sort of things that come around like the um, uh, sex worker content and, and people feeling like really entitled to like leaked sex tapes, I think has become a thing. If we think back to like the Kim K Paris Hilton days, I think everyone's entitlement to these leaked sex tapes, the, the feelings of entitlement because they're out there has really now trickled in. And I think that makes it a lot more real for people. And I think there's definitely a, a social element that we need to, we need to be working on and, and definitely like a cultural shift that we need to make. So it has a lot of objectives. We're getting there. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible to hear that your friend had to go through that but fantastic obviously that you you know you've done something about it and you know making a real difference so you've mentioned that since that happened lots of people have come forward um you know yeah. saying the same sort of things happened to them can you can you tell us a little bit about what sort of experiences people may have sort of spoken to you about um yeah did people absolutely. understand at that time what's actually happened to them I think it's so varied and I think this was my first when when the emails started coming in I think this was my first experience of being like oh actually revenge porn law doesn't work here because in the friend in the case of my friend this wasn't a vengeful ex-lover this was an iCloud hack like they were targeting specific people to try and get content off of it so it, it just there were all of these different scenarios and it didn't fit into this like neat narrative of of the uh, the jealous ex-boyfriend sort of thing um but yeah it, it was so varied we had um, a woman come forward who now works for the campaign, um, who her boyfriend at the time was recording them having sex and she had no idea whatsoever at the time. Um, and it was quite an abusive relationship, emotionally abusive, and, and they broke up. But then subsequently his next girlfriend got in touch with her a, a few months later and said, we're on Pornhub. Um, and she just couldn't understand how, because obviously she hadn't recorded a sex tape. She was like, that's not me. It can't be me. I've never done that. 
Um, and then she went on and, and she saw the link and she saw herself and, and getting that content off was incredibly difficult. And she didn't even know it, it, she had been recorded without her consent anyway. Um, so we had a few few like that. Um, lots from school kids, which was really hard. I think from anywhere from the age of like 13 to 16 kind of spiked during the first lockdown. Um, and again, the ending up on the porn websites. I mean, Pornhub had a category called stolen Snapchat teens and it was just full of underage girls who had, you know, clearly been taking pictures of themselves and sending them to boys. And, you know, it's kind of the classic, you show me yours, I'll show yeah. you mine. Like very, like almost like innocent in a way, but because it was happening over the phone, it was, it, and they were exploring that sexuality that way. And unfortunately those videos were getting uploaded and they were terrified to come forward because naturally they didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and they couldn't get it off these websites either. Um, had gay men, had two gay men, I think, out of the whole time have come forward. Um, that their partners have have put ex partners have put themselves up on on Pornhub and and different websites. And I think it just continues. And I think the porn website thing is is really typical. And that's kind of like something that's been a really consistent like consistent narrative throughout this whole thing. But then last week was actually a bit of a turning point um, for a lot of reasons. But one was that there was it was quite a lot of talk on Twitter about it there was a young girl young woman sorry who the metro had posted an article about her so essentially she um has a history of depression she's in like a mental facility mental health facility at the moment um and she had sort of loosely consented to an image of her she she was next to she was going to see the love islanders you know like a love island meet and greet um and she was standing next to, to Megan Barton and her top came down and revealed her breasts and there was a picture of it. And, and at the time, the Metro asked if they could publish it. And she was really poorly, very, very poorly at this time. And it was kind of, they didn't do any due diligence. She kind of just said yes. And it resurfaced like about a year later, which was recently. And the Metro refused to pull it down, even though like she had said, please, like they hadn't blurred anything out or anything. And, and the Metro actually refused to remove it. And she said, look, I've got all of these papers to show that I was sectioned mere days later. Like I wasn't in my, in the right frame of mind. I couldn't have consented to this. Yeah. Um, and they refuse to pull it and it's just it, and this is the thing I guess with image-based sexual abuse like it just takes so many different forms yeah um, so and it's really hard then to um, regulate it I suppose yeah it's it's really really difficult so I think there's so many loopholes we have to close um, and it's going to take a really long time I think there's been a lot of movement with it recently which is fantastic but there's so much left to do like genuinely so much left to do um, so yeah, it's, it's super, super varied, I think on a day to day, like there's obviously the classic, like I've ended up on a porn site situation, which we see pro cropping up time and time again, but there is also like super nuanced ex examples of image-based sexual abuse that we don't really think of, like, like that Metro example. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously this has happened to, well, hundreds, if not thousands of people. Is there, you know, what's the split you know is it is this happening to you is it is it mostly women is it men too yeah definitely I'd say absolutely like overwhelmingly the majority of them of victims are women right. it definitely feels like a very like man on woman crime where we have seen male victims it's been in a gay relationship so it's been man on man um and I think that I'm sure that there are cases where the other way around happens and I'm sure it's underreported um just as a lot of sexual crimes against men are but it, I think the evidence that we have and the evidence that's, you know, starting to be collected from other organisations, it's absolutely a, a very male on female crime, unfortunately. 
Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm sure there's nuances within that. But at the moment, I, and my experience working in the campaign, nearly every victim I've ever worked with, and there are hundreds now, have been women minus minus two gay guys. So it's, it's difficult to address, you know, the subject without looking at society's relationship with porn. How much do you think that this affects people's actions when they choose to create, well, revenge porn? Oh, totally. I think, like I said, I think we've kind of, I don't know, I'm a millennial, so I don't know, I don't know how old you are, but I'm a millennial and uh, I definitely grew up with the Kim K leak sex tape and like yeah. random Disney stars growing up and, and having a leak sex tape and it, that kind of era was definitely something that I was de- like privy to um, as I was growing up and it was one of those things where at the time I, do, I look back on it and it's a bit like anything hindsight's a wonderful thing and I was only a teenager but you look back on it and you realize that this kind of entitlement has been there for such a long time and we didn't nip it in the bud when we should have i mean the fact that we even like publicized the fact that people had image-based sexual abuse leaked of them without their consent is just disgusting as is and the fact that then porn websites started taking them on and showing them without their consent is even worse and we didn't really bat an eyelid obviously porn has has changed porn is becoming a lot more accessible the porn tube sites mean that there is plenty of it and a lot of people my age sort of grew up in their later teens with things like Pornhub. um but these tube sites just have like mass amounts on there and unfortunately it's just it's all amateur which is fine because okay i want to clarify i'm not anti-porn in the slightest like not even a little bit but porn has changed a lot if you think back to like when porn was becoming i mean porn and nudes have been something since the beginning of time if you look at portraits there are plenty of them so it's 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 not a new concept and i don't think the concept of porn is bad i think the, the way the industry has gone makes it bad i think if we think about you know the vhs porn industry that was in the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, I think that was very different. People had maybe a few a few videos, a few on VHS, and it, it was quite mild and vanilla. But when we kind of, we the internet launched, it was then paid for, but you'd have a subscription and there was a limited amount of, of videos you could access. And it was very much like done in a studio with checks, etc. And then Pornhub was born and, and the entire business model of Pornhub and, it, and its tube sites is to steal content from other sites and then upload them for free on their site and then attach adverts onto them. So it really bred like a lot of stolen sex worker content, but it also may, meant that there was a lot of amateur content being uploaded that wasn't being checked in the same way that, you know, the porn studios were being checked. Yeah. Um, and there weren't, you know, there weren't any consent processes. There's no age verification. Um, and amateur has become increasingly popular. People don't like to watch like what feels like scripted, staged, corny porn anymore. They want to feel like that they're watching a real person. And, and unfortunately, a lot of that comes with they're watching a real person that they don't know they're being filmed or they're watching a real person. And this video was only meant to be for them and their partner. And it sort of adds that extra layer of like, you know, just thinking about like it them in the moment and the intricacies of it and it and it's just changed so much i think in the last 20 years and we just haven't kept up with it um at all obviously throughout lockdown we've heard like there's been sort of widespread reports about porn usage and an increase in people creating content for websites um such as OnlyFans. what are your thoughts on such uh, you know these such websites that encourage people who maybe wouldn't normally have sold provocative pictures of themselves uh, um it's a mixed one really i don't think there's lots of, like i'm i'm trying not to be such a black and white thinker i'm trying to be a lot more nuanced um i think that 
OnlyFans as a concept, I actually really like. I think it, there are problems with it, right? But I think the, the fact that we, we were kind of giving them the money and the power back to an individual creator, I really like that concept. I think obviously with the tube sites and stuff, it, it meant that a lot of content had been stolen. I felt with OnlyFans, obviously you have that wall and you can you can choose who comes in and out. And as a concept, it sounds great. But in practice, it just it, it's kind of been a bit of a mess in the sense that people feel more protected by it. So they don't think about it as much. We're finding that actually um, a porn star called Alexa Vice, who I, who I spoke to a few months ago, was saying that she was really worried about OnlyFans because she didn't think people were taking it seriously as if they were getting into porn. They were kind of like, oh, it's just like an influencer thing and we're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, and it's just like it. it it's it's something that maybe is taken too lightly and she was concerned that obviously when your pictures are up they're there for forever like as soon as you do that you know it's very very difficult to get them off off the internet and the the problem with OnlyFans is that it has this paywall so it makes you feel like you're in control it makes you feel like you have control of who sees those images it makes you feel like you have control because you can take the videos down and the pictures down but of course, what's happened is that they're being stolen. So people are, are paying for subscription on OnlyFans, but they're taking that content, they're recording that content, and they're taking it and they're putting it onto other porn websites. So, I mean, in, in, in theory, if it worked and there were, there were sort of barriers that would prevent people from stealing that content, it would be a fantastic, fantastic concept. But unfortunately, it's just sort of led to a different form of abuse. Yeah. And... Uh, so we haven't got it right yet. I thought we were going in the right direction, but I, I don't think we've we've hit the nail on the head yet. No, but it's sort of steps in the right sort of way. Um, so our county, like the very beautiful Wiltshire, is quite rural, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, our public transport systems aren't, you know, like living somewhere busier or in city, you know, places such as London. So even before the lockdowns, young people, um, you know, spent a lot of time on their phones, contacting friends and partners. What would your advice be on how to stay safe online while also enjoy, enjoying sorry, a digital social life? I think the, uh, the Sarah Everard case has sort of rocked everyone this week in the last couple of weeks. And I think the victim blaming yeah. culture around that has been quite rife um, in the fact that people were like, well, why was she walking home alone? Yeah, and and it, it, it feels so like, it, it really cuts deep, doesn't it? I think for every woman, um, at the moment because you've been that person who's been concerned about walking home and you've also yeah. been that person that has been told off probably for walking in the dark right at night without having an alarm on you yeah. and I think it's a very similar thing with online sexual abuse I think that you know we, we're very keen on telling people what to do and how to be safe we're very keen on you know telling girls when they go for walks at night to keep their keys between their knuckles or make sure you do a fake phone call if someone's following you and and you're telling them when you're coming home and I think the same thing is is with sexual abuse, I think with online. And I think, you know, with revenge porn, people are very quick to say, well, don't take the photos in the first place or mm. don't send those videos in the first place. Like, what's wrong with you? Of course, this is going to happen. And the level of victim blaming is just it, it feels so awful. And I think people think it's even more they, they are able to even like victim blame even more on these crimes because people do jump to that even more so now than, than ever. And they say, you know, well, you shouldn't have done that in the first place. So I'm very. Um, I don't really want to tell people what to do to stay safe no. because I feel like pe the, the key message should be that people should know that they're not allowed to share consent, they like share images without the consent of that person. And if you do, yeah. that's sexual abuse. Yeah. I can tell you what to do if you do find yourself a victim of image-based sexual abuse. 
Um, and I can definitely give tips on that front. So first off, the first thing that you're going to want to do, if you find yourself on, in, a, in a place on the internet where you don't want to be, in terms of like your nudes and videos, your gut instinct is going to try to get rid of that as quickly as humanly possible. And that's usually like the first mistake the victims make because you need to collect as much evidence as humanly possible. So I'm talking screenshot everything. If it's on a porn website, get the like the username when it was uploaded, take all of that information. And I know it doesn't feel good. Save down the video if you can, save down that nude, like make sure you have all of that content. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, it makes it a lot easier if you want to go to the police and try and get a prosecution and they can do an investigation into it. And secondly, it means that you can also try and get this Im these images and videos wiped from the internet. And it feels counterproductive because you're like, if I'm trying to get this video off the internet, Kate, why am I saving it down back on my phone? Yeah. <laughs> but we can do things called digitally fingerprinting. And it essentially means if you have the original photo or the original video, you can then run a scan to find wherever it's been uploaded and try and wipe it from the internet and prevent it from being uploaded again. And this isn't foolproof, like this isn't something that works 100% of the time, but it's definitely something that if you have those original files and those videos that actually you can, there is a chance for you to try and get that off the internet. Um, so that I would always say like, just collect that evidence, save the videos, save the photos. Um, there's a revenge porn helpline, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd be happy, maybe, if, I don't know how you do the details on these podcasts, but the, if you want to link it in yeah. the bio or something. Yeah, no, we definitely it's, like to link it in there. The Revenge Porn Helpline is absolutely incredible. It's run by a woman called Sophie Compton and they have very little funding from government, unsurprisingly, and they do all of the work and they are fantastic at dealing with the traumatic mental state that, you, that you're going through in that moment of time and, and trying to deal with you emotionally and, and the feelings that you've got there. But they are also very, very good at trying to get those images off the internet. So right, I so would that, absolutely... Is that who they should, you know, if you find yourself in this situation, is that who you should turn to first or... Absolutely, or, I think, yeah. and I think that's the best thing to do. I think step one, collect your evidence. Step two, call the revenge porn helpline. Yeah. Just because you've called the revenge porn helpline doesn't mean you're reporting it to the police, right? You can make a judgment call on, on how you feel and, and what your capabilities are in that moment. Um, and then they'll be able to give you the emotional support, the advice, and even the help to try and get that off the internet. So I would highly, highly recommend getting in touch with the Revenge Porn Helpline first and foremost. And then I think heeding their advice, I think you then, if you if you feel like you can and you're able to, definitely go to the police. It, it is a crime um, and it is sexual abuse. And I feel like it's so difficult to not feel shame in that situation when you've been so exposed without your consent. But if you do have the strength to do that, please, please do. Because the more that we report this, the more likely, I mean, we're talking about a lot of the cases, these the, these men who commit these crimes against women are repeat offenders. They don't just do it once. They tend to do it, they collect them a little bit like Pokemon cards, it's disgusting. And I think if you're able to, and you have the strength to, please, please report it to the police. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. It's really, you know, you know, hopefully people don't, have, this doesn't happen to them, but if it does, then it's, you know, I think it's so important that they know who to go to or where they can go for support as well. Cause I, you know, the emotional support thing must, you know, that must be a huge relief when it's something like that. It would just, it'd be shocking, wouldn't it? You, I'm well, sure. it can, and it could happen to any of us. Like yeah. it literally could happen to anyone. And I feel like everyone, you know, the people, I think the majority of us um, millennials and definitely Gen Z probably have sent nudes or a tape like a lot of us too, it's it's a very like, it's a part of life now. It's part of yeah. sexual relationships. It's part of like 
dating, in lockdown, obviously, people have been away from their partners, like they're trying to keep their sex life alive in a different way. It's a very normal extension of our sex lives now. Um, and so it really could happen to anyone. And even if you're not someone who takes nudes and videos, it could still happen to you. There are so many cases where women have been recorded without their consent. And I think that's kind of the moment where I think everyone needs to sit back and be like, okay, if this could happen to me, what can I do to prevent that from happening? And I think that has to be like a societal shift. Because like I said, there's no advice I could give you here that would be, if you want to not have your nudes leaked online, do this, this and this, because I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone not to take nudes or videos because no. they should be completely within their right to do so. But I think like speaking out on it and, and taking it seriously in the way that and thinking, oh, this actually could happen to me or it could happen to someone I know and, and someone I'm close to and how would they feel? Like, I think that's where you have like real societal change and a shift in attitudes, which is what we're trying to drum up at the moment as much as humanly possible, because that's, yeah. it, it's a bit of a strange thing trying to change the law of parliament. You kind of have to have like the social change element and the public interest and the press around it to be able to make those changes. You kind of have to prove the buzz of yes. it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a strange one, but I think everyone really needs to sit down and, and when they think about this and, and make sure they stay away from the, oh, this would never happen to me yeah, thought because it absolutely can... could. Yeah, I agree. And the more we can obviously raise awareness and uh, as a college and, and many obviously educational establishments, you know, we try to discuss lots of different things with students. And so, you know, raising awareness about this, however awful it is you know it's, it's really really important um so the law recently changed um and now the sharing of intimate videos and images of someone without consent can get up to two years in prison i believe do you think that this will change anything we already had that anyway the 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 way the law has changed most recently is the threat so it wasn't illegal to threaten it before but now it's actually illegal to threaten to distribute images without someone's consent um I hope it does. I think the threat itself like, is obviously very terrifying for people and it's a form of emotional manipulation and abuse in itself. Um, but I don't know is the answer. Yeah. Um, I'd be lying if I said I did. That change in the law, was that, you know, did that come about as part of your campaign? I think there were knock-on effects. It wasn't something, yeah, no, absolutely. I came from Refuge. Um, I actually worked under Zara McDermott documentary and I know that she's been campaigning for that. Um, and I worked with Zara McDermott on that documentary as well. Um, so it's been something we've absolutely been involved in um, completely, but I would uh, I would not sit here and take credit for that actually at all, because Refuge have put so much work into it. Um, but I think it's a knock-on effect. I think activism is a knock-on effect. I think as soon as one person starts talking about it and it, and it happens to other people and, and people start you know actively um shouting about it and, and having conversations it does have a knock-on effect and i think that's when really good things happen i think an example of that actually is um the the change that's happening in canada at the moment i think before i will take credit for this one <laughs> but in um before no one was talking about the porn websites and no one was talking about Pornhub or, or mangeek or anything along those lines mangeek own Pornhub, by the way and they own a lot of other websites and we started talking about it in the press and, and sort of doing these independent investigations with the Sunday Times a couple of years ago. And that's really snowballed. And MindGeek's um, main office is in Montreal. And currently they are undergoing a criminal investigation by the Canadian government. And that's something that's never been done before. They've never even been looked into before. Oh, so it's it's a big it's a big deal. And I'm hoping that means it'll it'll follow suit in the UK. But it's um 
there's a lot happening at the moment on like a massive um, level overseas because of the campaign that's just been done here in the UK. So I think that when you have activism, that that snowboard effect is so, so powerful. So like I said, activism is snowballing effect and the more people that get involved with it and the more people that shout about it is when we can make actual societal change. So if this is something you feel really passionately about, you can go onto Instagram. We have some really great illustrators and we talk a lot about consent and sexual assault, um, sexual consent online. So you can find us on Instagram and it's not your porn, but it's um, instead of the O in porn, it's an X. So it's N-O-T-Y-O-U-R-P-X-R-N. So that's N-O-T-Y-O-U-R-P-X-R-N. But you can also, if you type in not your porn to Instagram, you can usually find us. Um, and we're also on Twitter at Not Your Porn, where we're having conversations with parliamentarians and, and debates about how we move image-based sexual abuse further. Um, so, and also, if you're a victim and you want more and you want some help, especially if um, you're finding it in a in a public space, your images, you can go on the Not Your Porn website. It's just notyourporn.com. And there is resources on there. There is also a link to the Revenge Porn Helpline, as well as that step-by-step that I was talking through earlier about what to do if you become a victim of revenge porn. Um, and you can also get in contact with us. Like I work with two other incredible women who joined the campaign, um, one very, very recently and, and one about a year ago now, maybe just over. And and we're all available to chat and you can feel free to email us if, if you're really struggling or if you need any advice, we're absolutely here for that. Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, really helpful. And I'm sure lots of people will obviously want to support as much as they can. So yeah, it's great to have that information. Um, you know, if anyone is listening and, and obviously Kate's given the information about the um, the hotline that you can call. Um, if you are a current student at the college with us, then we also have support internally. So you just need to contact um, by email. You can email safe at wiltshire.ac.uk. Um, but but really importantly for anyone or that knows whether it's personally or if you have family and friends affected by today's po- podcast you know please don't stay quiet you know there's a lot of support out there um and we you know like we can uh, there's lots that can be done and we can help so please don't stay quiet but thank you so much kate for your time today you know this is really such an important topic to discuss and raise awareness about so you know we really do appreciate you giving up your time to talk to us about it no problem at all if anyone wants to reach out we're on the other end of social media um and i think it's fantastic that wiltshire college is is doing this and and raising awareness about it and especially that you have a a team also that can help students i don't think i think that's quite um like i don't think there's many colleges and universities that have that at all so cool very well 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 done i like it very much so thank and, and thanks you know to everyone for listening as well um stay tuned for the next podcast from Welsh college and university center it's free to download and listen to